One purchased, one donated. That's the promise of Bombas, whose incredibly comfy socks, tees, and underwear go not only to you when you buy them, but also to people facing homelessness. So when you put on that buttery soft tea or realize you've developed a habit of reaching for Bomba socks, which I do, over every other pair in the drawer, you'll know that someone in need is having that same feeling. Ready to get comfy and give back? Head over to bombas.com slash hard things and use code hard things for 20% off your first purchase. There have been so many guests on the podcast that I wish we could have gotten more one-on-one time with. Because when you really get to sit down and have that intimate experience, you learn so much more. And that's why we love our longtime partner, Masterclass. Because where else are you going to get one-on-one time with RuPaul? Teaching you how to be your most authentic self as if among friends. And if you were as fascinated as I was after Natalie Portman joined the show, maybe you wanted to go deeper. And her acting class on Masterclass lets you do just that. With their set of 180-plus world-class instructors, you're in good hands when you decide to set out on your next learning adventure. Plus, if it's not for you, they have a 30-day money-back guarantee. My favorite. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash hard things. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash hard things. Masterclass.com slash hard things. To be loved, we need to be known. Welcome back to We Can Do Hard Things. We are going to waste no time today because we have one of my favorite people in all of the land, and her name is Carrie Washington. Carrie Washington is an Emmy-winning SAG and Golden Globe-nominated actor, director, producer, and activist. She received widespread recognition for her role as Olivia Pope in the hit drama Scandal. In 2016, Washington launched her production company, Simpson Street, whose projects include Confirmation, American Son, Emmy Award-winning Live in Front of a Studio Audience, The Fight, and Little Fires Everywhere. Washington is a lifelong activist and founder of Influence Change, IC21. She has been honored as one of Time Magazine's 2022 Women of the Year. She has just released her memoir, Thicker Than Water, and it's on sale now. Pod Squad, during this interview, you're going to hear us talking a lot about a family secret that was revealed to Carrie just recently in her life. And we're not going to tell you exactly what that secret is because it's a spoiler for the whole book, and we really don't want to ruin the story for you. And Also, it doesn't really matter because when you hear us talk about Carrie's family secret, just know we're talking about every family secret that every family has ever had. Okay, enjoy. Carrie Washington, I've been really looking forward to this hour for a very, very long time. Yes. Me too. I love you. I I love you. I haven't gotten to spend a ton of time with you, but- I feel so connected to you. You're one of the few people that no matter what they're doing, I'm like, okay, yes, I'll do, I'll do whatever she's doing. (laughs) I trust you so deeply. I just wanted to ask you a quick question that I thought of this morning, which is, did you see me fall down the stairs at Tracy Ellis Ross's birthday? 
Did you I really did not? not? I you missed didn't? that. Was it before dinner or after dinner? Oh my God, Carrie. It was before dinner and I fell <laughs> down the stairs like completely, like my shoes flew, my purse flew, my, my dress was up my ass in front I, of Diana Ross. Okay. <laughs> This morning I thought, I wonder if she saw that, but she's too kind to ever bring it up and she'll never bring it up. <laughs> no, I really, I missed that. Oh. I was so happy to see you both there and also sad that we didn't have more time to talk there, yeah. but I, I missed your stunts. Okay. I'm so glad. <laughs> your stunt. <laughs> that makes she does happy. her own stunts, people. <laughs> In fact, she just exclusively does stunts. Yes, yes. exactly. So true. Exactly. So I'm true. really sad I missed that. We might have to recreate it. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I will, Carrie. I'm sure I will. <laughs> Just stick around. (laughs) Also, I promise going forward that if we are in a space and I witness you doing a stunt, I promise to not pretend I didn't. Oh, that's nice. So you have that transparency for me. Okay. That's nice. I don't know if I like that rule, but I'll circle back. (laughs) I feel like it's a theme of Carrie's most recent work. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, we're not pretending not to see. We're going to see the falls. We're going to see the falls. We're going to see the stumbles. We're going to see it all. Yeah. (laughs) So as you know, I have read Thicker Than Water twice all the way through. Which is amazing and very generous of you. Thank you so much. I think it's so beautiful. And Hmm. it like shook me in a way that I think it's going to shake a lot of people because it's about something so applicable to every single family in terms of what we think parenting is Mm -hmm. and Mm. how sometimes what we think parenting is, is like, well, it's traumatic. In the book you said of about growing up, you said all of the adults in my life were saying everything is fine Mm. and it wasn't. Can you talk to us about what wasn't fine for you as a kid? Mm. Hmm. God. Wow. Oh, what a Great way to start. I feel like there are so many ways I can answer that question. The primary way that I felt that things weren't fine is that my parents loved me very, they still do. They love me very, very much. I knew I was very wanted, longed for. And yet, in that container of loving me, there was this disconnect. And I didn't understand it. I couldn't really describe it. It was this, this sense within me that there was something they were keeping from me, protecting me from. There was a level of arm's lengthness. I don't think that's a word, but I'm going to pretend it is today. There was a, an arm's lengthness that where they just, they were holding me across this slight emotional moat. And again, it wasn't like my parents were absent they were present and not fully there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and I didn't know how to wrap my head around it and I didn't know why it was. And like most of us, especially kids, but even me today, I made up stories for like, what was the reason for this disconnect? And I decided it was me, you know, that I, I wasn't enough. I wasn't smart enough or good enough or kind enough or thin enough or whatever it was. And so that was one way that things weren't fine. There was this distance within the love between my parents Mm -hmm. and I, this like 
inauthenticity within a very true love. So it was so confusing because obviously as a kid, I didn't have any of this language. And even as an adult, I'm like struggling for the right language. But also my parents were having their own struggles in their marriage. And because in the daytime, everything between them seemed perfect and beautiful, and these these arguments would come through at night, and it almost felt like not that they were monsters in the night, but it felt like like monsters would seep into their relationship, like into the walls of our apartment and turn them into something else. And that energy would seep through the wall. So that also felt like it wasn't fine. Um, mm-hmm. It was scary to, to have this like underbelly, this other version of my parents at night that I, that I didn't know and that I didn't want to know, but I had no choice but knowing because we were in a tiny two-bedroom apartment with thin walls. And then there was that I I also write about, there was this abuse that was happening during a section of my childhood, this one season of my childhood. Something was happening to me at night from like a a child that was an acquaintance of the family. And, um, and I, I didn't know, again, it was like this, I knew, I knew something was happening, but I didn't know what it was. And so as I'm talking to you, I feel like this thread, this theme is that I had a sense that things weren't as I was told they were. I had a sense that the reality was different from the performance that we were all engaged in, mm-hmm. but I was told that that sense was wrong or that sense was to be ignored or that sense made me crazy And so that's what wasn't fine is that like I learned very early on to not trust myself Mm -hmm. Um, and and I was navigating like spaces that felt unsafe while also losing a connection to my own inner clarity. Mm. Mm. You guys, that was exhausting. Can we go home now? Yeah. So now <laughs> no, I feel your, like where are that your shoes like- from, Carrie? We'll ask you some questions that are easier. No, I love it. I love it. I love it. No, it's wow. so amazing. So when someone in your home, when you're hearing, you're hearing the noise, you're hearing the fighting, your senses are hearing it, mm-hmm. and you're feeling in your body uh, that something's off. And then you wake up in the morning over and over again, which so many people have had the experience of, of what? It's fine. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Or Everything's you fine. walk into a room even if it's not night and morning for you. You walk into a room. You mm-hmm. can feel the tension between your parents. You say, what's wrong? Your parents say, it's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. So here's what's fascinating to me. That is our parents' attempt to protect us. A hundred percent. Why didn't you tell your parents about the abuse? that you were experiencing from this boy? Because I was protecting them, right? right? Like they taught me that the way you love is to keep the hard stuff from people and to pretend everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And so that was my script. When I finally figured out what was happening with this kid, I thought, oh, the most loving thing I can do is to protect these people from this truth and to just proceed as if nothing's going on. And I thought, for some reason, I felt like I have the strength to do that. Yeah. I, it's better for me to hold on to the pain and figure out how I can metabolize it than make everybody else around me feel bad. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know, as we're talking, when you, when you relate it to parenting now, I feel like one of the greatest 
gifts of the process of writing this work is my reminder or maybe my learning of how rich the emotional lives of children are, right? Like how much kids know and how much they feel and see and what an, an amazing acknowledgement to take into my home because we wanted our kids were like pushing, you know, get dressed for school and eat your breakfast and do the things. Like, do you just want to like shepherd them through life and check off the boxes and just to be reminded of how much these moments matter in their young emotional lives is, mm-hmm. I just feel so lucky to be really grounded in that at this point in my parenting. Yeah. When you were growing up and you're talking about this dissonance between being totally quote unquote present there actively involved versus being kind of immersed in you, you were able to see that distinction even then, because that's quite a mature, they weren't emotionally immersed in you, but they were very much there. And I feel like that doesn't just apply to parents. I mean, people have entire (laughs) marriages that are like that. People have every relationship in their life like that. And you can't quantify it. You Mm -hmm. can't point to it and say that is what's wrong. Mm -hmm. So were you able to identify that even early? And if so, did you replicate that in later relationships? So I wouldn't have had the language for it. But as you're asking me that, what's bubbling up in me is this awareness of how sensitive of a child I was. Yeah. And so um, I was a deeply feeling child and I had big feelings and I, maybe I was born with more emotional availability and awareness, but also as I grew up, I had more and more hypervigilance. Um, and so I, I just knew, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to say like, they're here, but they're not present. Like I wouldn't have had that language, but I guess like if I try to put myself in my little kid body, like how would my little girl describe it? There was something missing. Mm-hmm. There just was something missing. Mm-hmm. There was a there there that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And and sometimes I would see it relative, right? Like I would watch my mom in the way that she interacted with my friends. And like my friends always felt like they could tell my mother everything. And you could tell her anything and she would be there for you. And And I knew that my mother was there for me, but I always felt like I had to pretend a little bit with her and that she was pretending a little bit with me in a way that was different than with like another kid in my neighborhood. And now I understand it, right? Now I get like that when I would hear girlfriends of mine say like, oh, I'm best friends with my mom and we talk every day, three times a day, I'd be like, what? what? My mother and I could never be that close because you don't keep your biggest secret from your best friend. Mm. And there was always this secret that my mother was holding. And so there was a danger in getting too close to me. There was a danger in breaking down all the walls because then she might have to tell me this thing that she had promised herself she wasn't going to tell me. So it makes sense now. Back then it just felt like, I mean, (laughs) at the risk of calling myself a princess, it was like a princess in the pea thing. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm in this bed. It's really beautiful. It's everything's fine. But like, there's this thing, there's some itch, there's some, something's off and I don't know what it is, but I can't sleep, 
you know? Yes. Yes. Wow. And for pod squatters, while you're listening, there there is a big secret in the family that that you'll learn about in the book and is so incredible. And also it doesn't matter. It's every family has some kind of (laughs) freaking secret. Like, well, that's been the biggest thing for me that like the number one response to the book when people read it is that they start to tell me their family's secrets. Okay. That'll happen for the rest of your damn life. (laughs) I was going to say that must happen to you too. Uh Right. Um, so, and I actually feel so blessed when people do that. This saying that we are as sick as our secrets, yeah. for me, it comes up in, it's part of why I felt like I had to write this book. And it's part of, for me, the healing that like, if somebody reads this book and then they get inspired to tell me their secret, there's, I know there's healing in that. Yeah. And I get to hold space, which feels really lucky. Okay, I have a surprise to tell you, honey. I booked us an Airbnb at the Thousand Islands with more space and privacy. And we get to opt into my family. So near family, but not with family. Yes. You solved family near, but not with. (laughs) Thank you, Airbnb. (laughs) It's so exciting. Have you ever thought about renting your place out? Like when you go away like that? Yeah, I have. There's some big events coming up in LA in the near future that I'm very excited that possibly we're going to do that for sure. When you really think about it, babe, it really is the perfect way to make some extra money when we're away from LA. When you're just living somewhere, it's easy to forget that the place you live in is actually a travel destination others want to visit. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Airbnb.com slash host. Sister, you should rent your house too. Let me tell you why I think this book is so important. I mean, there's a lot of reasons, but here's one reason. We all women, I, I, maybe it could just be everyone I know, but I feel like maybe it's everyone (laughs) is we're all getting to this point in our life where we figure out, we don't know what we want. We don't know anything. Like we don't know Mm. who Mm. we want to be. We don't know who we love. We don't know what we want to do. We don't know what we want for dinner. We don't know what, (laughs) we don't know anything about what Mm -hmm. we want. And we keep wondering why, like, wait, let's look back on my life. When did I stop? knowing myself. Like when did I stop? Yes. Yes. When did I lose any connection with myself? I know we both share recovery from eating disorder. It's like, we're looking back on our life. I think there's lots of reasons and moments that we lose ourselves, but one of them is being gaslit in our families. Mm -hmm. When we are children Mm -hmm. and we have a princess in the peace situation, but everyone tells us, no, no, no. We stop believing ourselves. So Carrie, when your parents finally told you the big secret Mm -hmm. of your family, how did you feel? (laughs) So I felt a lot of things, but the first thing I felt was revelatory clarity. It felt like in there telling me they took my glasses off and cleaned them and handed them back to me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so, so much makes sense now. Mm-hmm. And I would say the second biggest thing I felt was curious because I felt like now 
like now I want to go learn some shit. Like now I, I am seeing the world more clearly. I understand the dynamics. I feel like I can actually maybe learn to know myself again because this was the beginning of the reconnection of myself with my intuitive knowingness. Yes. I knew something was up. I knew something was up. And then for you telling me that I was right, that something was up means I'm not crazy. And now I want to go find out some more stuff about myself and my life and who I am and who we are. And it was empowering and terrifying. And also mm-hmm. I was angry that they waited so long to tell me, but that all came much later. I mean, the first thing I felt was like, oh, excited. Yes. Um, and then because I'm a good people pleaser codependent, <laughs> then I felt worried for my parents. Yeah, I love and that. was like, <laughs> I want to make sure that they're okay. <laughs> I immediately went into like taking care of them mode. Um, so I didn't say to them because my dad, I, I don't know if my, I, I, it's in the book. I can't remember right now if my mom or dad asked me how I felt. I think it was my dad. And I think I said, I'm curious. I didn't say mm-hmm. like, I'm so excited, yeah. but I just was like, oh, you know, I tried to like measure, be measured about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but I, I, I did, I really wanted to make sure I still want to make sure that they're okay in this process as I look for more and more information about who I am. It's like the moment of ungaslighting. It's, I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm a goddamn cheetah. You're like, I'm not crazy. There was a pee. There was a pee the whole time under all the mattresses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And do you think about that in your parenting? Because I think we protect them. Everybody's protecting each other to death. Everybody's protecting each other to insanity. Yep. They were saying, no, no, no. Life isn't hard and scary you're crazy. (laughs) And what you learned at the end was I'm not crazy. Life is just hard and scary. So isn't it better for us to just to tell the children the messiness in the beginning so that they learn that life isn't easy, but that they know. Well, this is why I think like even just the name of this podcast is so powerful because I think that in some ways, they didn't believe that they could do hard things. Mm-hmm. And so they raised me with so much love, trying to keep me from the hard things yeah. so that I wouldn't have to do the hard things that that they didn't maybe know how to do or that they didn't like to do or that they didn't want to do. I then believed that I couldn't do the hard things because the hard things had been kept from me. And so it becomes this like generational learning and then unlearning of like, no, 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 it's hard. So being in life means you got to do the hard things and you can, but you only learn you can when you get a chance to try. Mm. Mm. And I do think about that in my parenting. Like even, even last night we had this situation where like, we, we asked the kids to do something. They didn't do things. My, my, my husband held them accountable. And I was like, oh, I feel so terrible. And he was like, don't feel terrible. They didn't do the thing. Like they got to, you know, these are the consequences. And that's when I have to remind myself that like, 
The feeling terrible is actually the contrary indicator. Like sometimes in parenting, if I feel terrible, it means I'm doing something right. Mm. Sometimes in life, if I feel guilty, like number one sign I'm making the right choice because I feel shitty. <laughs> like yeah. sometimes mm. that's what happens when I'm when I'm unlearning old bad patterns, you know? Mm-hmm. I do God, know. That's so important. That's so important because we are told over and over, if anyone feels bad, or if you make anyone else feel bad, there has been a grave transgression yes. as opposed to that being a natural consequence of a lot of decisions that are healthiest and best to make. And in fact, are like definitive of good living and good parenting is oh my to God. not save everyone from the consequences of everything. When I tell you like this process, walking through this with my family has not been easy. We have done some hard things. We went into family therapy together, all of us, my parents, my husband and I, like in this like four people sessions all together. (laughs) So crazy Um, and so wonderful and hard at times and wonderful at times. And when I tell you like there have been moments along this journey that if it were not for me, Having this book in my hands and being like, I am untamed. I'm a goddamn cheetah. Like, there's no <laughs> way I would have done some of it. You know, there were there were times when I'm pretty sure I write this in the book that my dad was like, if you walk this path, it will kill me. In those words. I know. It will kill me. Underlined. And, and, underlined in the book. Underlined. Yes. 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 And it's that moment of saying like, I can betray myself or I can betray him. And I've, and I've got to make a choice. And I, and that realization that I've spent, well, two things, that realization that I've spent so much of my life being the supporting character in my parents' story, and that it was time for me to be the lead character in my story. And that, by the way, in doing that, my dad has gotten to learn that he can do hard things, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that he's not dead, (laughs) that he can do hard things and that we can do hard things together is like the greatest gift my family has been given. Um, We're so much closer than we were before the revelation of this family secret, which is the opposite reaction that they thought would happen, you know? And don't you think that goes full circle though? Because you had this whole file folder growing up. Like if your brain is like a file system. Yes. Which in many ways it is. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Then we'll have a different visual for that. (laughs) Um, But you had filed this entire thing into, I'm really sensitive. I feel a lot of things that other people don't feel. You had built a whole identity that you filed in here about Mm -hmm. everything about you that was too much Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. like couldn't make this thing work Mm -hmm. that was working Mm -hmm. for the other people in your house. Mm. But then when you get revealed the secret, you take off the label from that file folder and put on like fucking brilliant, intuitive, (laughs) perceptive (laughs) human who knows what's going on in your life. Fucking brilliant, perceptive human. Because like all of that, (sighs) all of that data that was pointing toward you're too sensitive, you can't make it work, all that is now evidence that you actually knew deeply. Mm -hmm. So then when your dad comes to you and says, Mm. if you do this, it will kill me. You get to go back uh -uh. to that data set and say, Mm -hmm. no, I know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to have faith in him to say like, 
I know you didn't think I could do hard things, but now I'm here to reparent me and help guide us to say like, you can do hard things. We can. And, you know, God bless my husband. He was very, very supportive in that um, and helping me like see that. Yeah. I think so much of the point of this book for me is about belonging, but first belonging to myself Mm. and then how that belonging can allow me to belong to the family I was born in and the family I'm creating and, and my chosen families. And, but it's like the first belonging to myself so that I can really bring myself into these other relationships. Like you're saying, Mm -hmm. I want to talk about embodiment because to me, that's like the opposite of gaslighting. It's like, okay, I can't trust any Mm. of this stuff that's telling me something's wrong. So I'm gone. And so then life becomes a process of coming back into your body and starting to trust yourself again, giving yourself another chance maybe Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to trust yourself. And I think it's so interesting, your story, because with acting, it's like you were practicing embodiment, right? Mm. You were like, I mean, the scenes in the book where you're talking about how you experience acting. I'm like, oh my God, she's doing it. It's just, she's not doing it as herself yet. That's right. That's right. right. That's is that right. what it is? Yes. For uh, That's such a beautiful way to put it. I Acting saved me because I felt like all the things I couldn't do as Carrie, be like big and bold and emotional and know stuff and express stuff and do stunts. All the things that I didn't, that I didn't have, feel like I had room or permission to be and do, I could do it through my characters. Mm. I could say what I was feeling. I could have a feeling even. I could um, be loud and be expressive and all of that. I could be in my body. I could actually like be fully present in my body as a character on a stage or on a set. And originally I fell in love with acting because I was trying to escape myself. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't want to be in my life or in my body. So I, I wanted to escape into these characters and live their lives and have their feelings. And that felt safer because I could do and be anything. And then at some point, I started to realize that through them, I could express some of my own truth. To actually be a character and be authentically angry, I might have to pour some of my authentic carry anger into the character. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, well, this is amazing because I don't really know how to be angry in my life. I don't really know how to ask for help in my life, but this character is asking for help and this character is angry and this character is sexy or this character is um, badass or afraid or whatever it is. And so the characters then became a place where I could like express and experience some of my truth because I had the safety of the mask to Mm. hide behind. Mm. And it's almost as if I'm now in this kind of third iteration of my relationship with the characters, I've been able to bring so much of my truth and express it through the characters that they've given me the permission to, to allow Carrie to be a character, to like let the narrative of Carrie be worthy of its own moment in our canon, in my canon. And so mm. it's like, they've taught me how to write this book. They taught me how to craft a be- a beginning, a middle, and an end 
to the arc of this revelation because I've done it for them and with them for so long that I, I could borrow from them and give that gift to myself so that I could be at the center of my own story for the first time in my life. Whew. And if you're listening and you're thinking that's just about acting, <laughs> when I hear that story from Carrie, I think, oh, this is what being a workaholic is. You're comfortable with that character who you are Mm -hmm. at the office, you know, like what Mm -hmm. that character is, but then you get home and you take off your like costume Mm -hmm. and you're just yourself and you don't know how to feel your feelings. Yeah. I I mean, I think it's true. Even like, listen, as women, we are so programmed to play the supporting character, Mm -hmm. the wife, the mother. And by the way, those roles are extraordinary Mm -hmm. for me. I get so much joy out of those roles. But we have to make the choice to have moments where we put on the hat of like, now I'm a supporting character. We have to start or we have to have places where we're cultivating the idea that we are the lead character in the story, that it's my life. And I can choose to be supportive in the life that belongs to my children because they deserve to be the lead characters in their lives too. Mm -hmm. But there have to be times when I'm the lead character in my life. My husband, lead character of his life. Love that I get to be a supporting character in his story. Also, he should be a supporting character in mine, right? Like we have to have places where at work, even when I think of employees, I want every employee to feel like they are the lead character of the story of their lives. My job as their boss is to create an environment where they can flourish and feel like they're stepping into the fullness of what they have to contribute. But also it's my company, right? Mm -hmm. So that dance of like, I'm able to be supporting and I'm able to be the lead is so important. And I feel like for women, we're often taught that we're only supporting Mm -hmm. characters and that we don't have our own story. And for me, I know that's how I spent most of my life is feeling like I've always been the supporting character. It's the biggest thing that I learned being, you know, the lead character on a network drama was she was the lead character on that show. And that was the beginning of me being like, oh, maybe I'm the lead character. If I'm the lead character at work, what would it mean to be the lead character in life? (laughs) So I'm really grateful that I got to play her before stepping into this kind of revelatory process of um, unfolding in my family and in my identity because she helped me know what it was like to be the lead, to be the Mm -hmm. team captain. Mm. And when you think about that, it's so wild because no one would ever say like, man, you know what, Carrie, that was so selfish of you to be the lead <laughs> character there. You took mm. from all those supporting actors. But mm. in in our lives, we want everyone to be selfless and to be putting yourself last, but it doesn't work that way. And in mm-hmm. fact, when you try to do it, when you try to be just a supporting actor and pour into your kids or whatever, you don't get away with it. It's obvious. You're either letting them not be the lead character. That's right. Because you're siphoning your leadness through them and Mm. making sure that they end up being what you want them to be. You're like, this is the script. You can be the lead character, but I'm writing it. I'm producing it. I'm directing it. And your kids are like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm over here making an independent movie. And I'm like, no. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) Exactly. No one gets out alive. You either be the lead of you or you just really mess up everybody else's script. Amen.
most, if not all of us living in the LA area, are excited for this stretch of historically bad weather to come to an end. That is for sure. If there's one positive to take away from this, it's a reminder of just how much we value being outdoors and enjoy the beauty that our planet has to offer. That's why we love partnering with EarthBreeze, the laundry detergent brand that fights everyday stains and odors, giving you an amazing clean every time. More importantly, EarthBreeze's earth-friendly mission has led them to make plastic jugs a thing of the past and plant over 150,000 trees. I've been using their eco sheets, which are convenient to use and convenient to store. They take almost no space in our laundry room. Right now, our listeners can get started with EarthBreeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash hard things. That's earthbreeze.com slash hard things for 40% off your subscription. When I uh, was considering living honestly, um, <laughs> for I considered it for like thirty years, and then <laughs> and then said something true. Don't want to do anything impulsive. Right. Um, I want to say, in your defense, one of the things that I love so much about you and how you live this life of yours is that at every stage you're living your most honest. Mm. It's just this like acceptance that when we can do more, we do more, yeah. right? Like there's more and more honesty. And that dig for me is what matters that you're like, what else? Yeah. What more? Am I being my most honest now? So I don't feel like, but anyway, that's, that's my take. That's my hot take. Thank you, Carrie. And <laughs> it's like life, we get, we get stronger. And I, I think stronger usually just means wider. Like we get a wider perspective mm. and then a wider perspective. I don't think it really has to do with like resilience or I think it's just mm. like we see things wider. Mm. Um, and then life just shows us what we're ready to know. Yeah. And when we're yeah. not ready to know it, it doesn't show it to us yet. That's right. What my friend Liz used to always say is like, don't forget there's no such thing as one-way liberation. Mm. And I thought that so much as I was reading your book that like when you demanded, no, even though you're saying this is going to kill you, I'm still going to live my the truth. You were liberating yourself, but since you can't liberate yourself without liberating the person you're tied to, it just felt like when you did the thing, when you caused the destruction suddenly your parents were both free in such an uncomfortable but beautiful way. This story is going to show people that it's not truth or love. You're not making mm, the decision between yes. truth and love. Yes, that's right. That's right. First of all, also, I always want to say, like, I didn't start this problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. I wasn't, I wasn't the first person to lie. <laughs> Okay, so let's just put that out there. Like, oh, all of a sudden we're having accountability. Okay, like, I didn't ask to be born into this lie, but I was. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. I also want to say I, I feel like it's going to take me ten minutes to answer this question because you, when you ask me a question, it sets off like a, like fireworks of answers. Um, I love when you say my friend Liz because I feel like you're talking about Liz Gilbert. And so yes. that's just like the most fun name drop ever. Um, and there was an interview during the pandemic. I can't remember. This is what a like 
serious fan I am of you people. I can't remember if it was like your conversation with Liz Gilbert or if it was your conversation with Brene Brown talking about Liz Gilbert. But in some conversation, you talked about writing Untamed and and that I think Liz challenged you on like having it be messier. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that was so much permission for me because I kept feeling like I'm writing this memoir. I'm attempting to write this memoir, but I don't want it to be linear. Mm. I kept having these themes of like water and Mm. superheroes and food and family. Like there were these themes and I was like, I I think, I think this is crazy, but I think I need to write this like around themes and not around like, then this happened and then this Mm -hmm. happened and then this happened. So Thank you for like this, that literary permission. And I love that. I I do that. I do. It's true. Liberation goes both ways. What I say to my parents when, when they give me this news is that I'm just going to say this and it might be a little bit of a spoiler. So if you don't want any spoilers, like just stop it and go read the book and come back. But my dad gives me this information where I say to him, up until this moment, Every time that I have said, I love you, it's been on the condition of a lie, kind of. Mm -hmm. Even deep down somewhere in you, you think, well, she loves me because of this lie. Wow. And, And so when they told me, I thought and said to them, now you get a chance to feel what it feels like to be loved unconditionally because I know what I know and I'm not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know what I know and I love you. So now you get to see, right? You get to feel really what unconditional love is. And I don't think that ever occurred to them that that could be a product of truth, that it could mean deeper love. I think they were so concerned that I would be upset, that I would, that it, I, I would walk away, that I would be abandoned. And by the way, I was upset mm-hmm. and I did have moments where I had to walk away and I did have times where I felt abandoned and they had times where they felt that too. But through all of that, like the fundamental takeaway is this deeper, truer love mm. and deeper, truer, truer this <laughs> choice. And is that the distance? Is that the distance that Maybe. was created originally between you and your mom. It wasn't that I can't get there. It's my withholding of this truth means that I can't even accept you carries love. Yeah. Because I can't believe you love me. I can't believe we can be mm. this close because you don't yet know this thing you don't that I'm know. withholding. What's amazing to me about that if that's true, because I don't want to answer for her, but if if that's true, there's this greater gift. And I actually see this in my mom. I mean, listen, I learned if you if you have a secret and you don't want anybody to know, you can tell Valerie Washington. Like that woman, <laughs> she can keep a secret. She didn't tell, she didn't tell her sisters. She has four sisters, just told them this May. Wow. Didn't tell her best friends. Like literally didn't tell a soul and didn't really talk about it with my dad because he just like had an alternate reality in his head. And so he wasn't even keeping a secret. He was just like living this other truth that was his truth and like, so be it. Um, So she was really alone with this information, holding it, not being able to get 
that close to anybody. Yeah. There was nobody in her life who knew her full truth. Yeah. And it makes me so sad for her to like not, to not for, for decades to have this secret that not a, not a therapist, not a anybody. I see the change in her to be able to like tell people like the change in us, the moment I knew things shifted for my mother and I, the moment I knew she became a different kind of open vault and we became a different kind of connected. It was a little bit more of a unfolding process with my dad, but for my mom and I, I mean, and, and she knew that it was going to be different for my dad. So then it was like these conversations of like, what do you want to know? I'll tell you whatever you want to know. Right. Like, and, (laughs) but also as she's told other people, I just see this kind of like blooming woman who is more free more and and more more herself. It's beautiful because she can accept their love because it's like wait, you can know this and still love me. Yeah. Then you yeah. must really love me. But yeah. if you don't know it and love me, then maybe you don't really love me. Yeah. And, and also maybe like a, I can't love you because I'll be tempted to tell you to say something that I can't say. So I have to, I have to stand over here and be loving, but not really dive deep with you because I'm always going to be withholding something. Mm -hmm. I think about that in terms of some version of what you say all the time, but it's, if everything is about being known and all connection is based on being known, then the secret is, well, what you call the veil. The secret Mm, is mm -hmm. the veil between you and me all the time. I think about this with queer kids all the time, or Mm. it's like that thing that you know that no one else knows is your block of love. It's like, it's your Mm. unlovability. I mean, when we think Mm -hmm. about secrets and we use like blame or bad and good, In lots of ways, in a less judgmental way, it's like that person's their unlovability, like this thing Mm -hmm. that threatens my connection to you, my attachment. And so it's so beautiful in the story when it comes out and immediately you see that veil gone between you and your mother. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. It's true. You don't go somewhere new and exotic just to be there. You go to do things, be it a historical walking tour, zip lining through the trees, or guided tours through museums. Like the hassle-free self-guided audio tour our family took through Versailles. If you're planning a trip and really want to make the most out of your time, I recommend you check out Viator. They have over 300,000 bookable experiences from simple tours to extreme adventures. And there's something for everyone in over 190 countries. Thrill rides, spooky ghost tours, secret food guides, exploration off the beaten path. It's all there, along with millions of real traveler reviews, 24-7 customer service, various payment options, and flexibility and support with free cancellation. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Viator. 
do you do it differently with your kids? Mm-hmm. I try to be aware of the itch to mask. Mm. I try to be aware of it when it comes up and to put it down. Even if it's like the next day, like, you know, I said this thing yesterday. It's not exactly what I meant. And I try to be age appropriate. You know, I try Mm -hmm. to give them the information, give them the truth. And it's not really like, I, I also try, I'm trying not to overshare, you know, I I I want to, again, be age appropriate and sort of this thing we, you just said, Glennon, about like, when you're ready to ask the questions, the universe answers them. Like I'm trying to kind of be like a little bit of an embodiment of the universe for them. Like any question you have, I'm going to answer you. There's nothing you can't ask me. And I'm going to be as honest as I can. Um, like even in telling them about the secret, you know, mm-hmm. telling a 17-year-old this information is very different than telling a six-year-old this information. Mm-hmm. So separate conversations and to be led by the questions, but there's nothing you can't ask. There's nothing oh. you can't ask. To be um, led by the questions. Yeah. Because it's tricky, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I was thinking about even the word transparent. Let's be transparent. It's like, we're just going to tell them everything. There's a line there too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So being led by their questions is a beautiful Mm -hmm. thing. But also the thing about that is at the same time, we have to build like a culture where questions are welcome. Yeah. Right. So like building an environment where like, do you have any questions? Do you want to talk about that? Anything you want to talk about? Boy, this is hard to talk about, but I think we should talk about this. Mm. There's something I don't really want to say, but I think I'm going to say it because I kind of want to know what you think. Like building that environment where we talk about things that are uncomfortable so that if they have uncomfortable questions, there's some modeling around it. Mm-hmm. And when they tell us that they're, we've hurt their feelings, like I just read somewhere, somebody said, if there's one thing you can do to break generational trauma, it's when your kid says, well, it's creating an environment where your kid can say that hurts my feelings or you did this thing that, that I didn't like and then not shutting it down by being like, why did it mean to? Why did it? So hard. So hard. It's so hard. It's so hard. It's so It was so cool. Yeah. It was just so cool. We were actually on a family vacation a couple months ago and um, Glennon and one of our kids got into a tense moment where there could have been feelings and dis- disagreement in some way. The princess in the pea got in an argument yes. with the other princess in the pea. Yeah. In our family. Understood. Yeah. Cause and there's more than one pea. Yeah. There's exactly. lots of peas. Lots of peas. And so we were sitting at the dinner table that night. It's a few hours later. They both had some time and mm. one of our kids' friends was there on the, the mm. vacation with us. And Tish just said, are we going to talk about what happened today at the dinner table mm. with all of us there? Wow. Goddamn cheetah. You're raising a goddamn cheetah. <laughs> it was just so beautiful. Cause like I'm a people pleaser. I come from a huge family. We don't talk about this stuff. We just pretend it never happened and just mm-hmm. go on about, go on about our lives. But then what this, what this was so cool is like, we talked about it and then her friend just goes, Wow, you guys do things so differently. <laughs> and I just love that so much. And truly what they said was, wow, but then they go, that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> 
but the, 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 the yep. opening yep. of the door, it, like, I feel like you just being so brave and I'm sure it took you a long time, not just to write this book, but to decide mm. to write this book. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to say thank you because mm. not many people have the life that you have and open themselves up in this Nobody way. Does. Nobody. It's just rare as rare can be. And I'm just so grateful to been sitting here and I just didn't even want to talk. I just want you to keep talking forever. <laughs> I was like, what's Abby thinking? Cause that's my, I was like, Abby's quiet. What's she thinking? I just feel so amazed. And honestly, you, your book touched me. You, the way mm. that you operate and the privacy that you keep for you and your family and your husband yeah. and to come out with this book, I'm just like, Fuck yes. Like I've got everybody. My, my has family to read of origin this. is going down. Yes. You're giving <laughs> I'll tell me, you what. Yeah, you're giving me permission because I have a big family <laughs> secret. I have a, I have something that I feel like is mm. really not talked about or dealt with. And mm-hmm. you're just getting me a little bit closer. So thank you. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah. When you lose yourself again, because we know this is not just like a, oh, and now I'm done. Yeah. Oh, now yeah. I'm, like, now I'm reembodied. It's like twice a day. Twice a day I lose myself. <laughs> right. Yeah. How do you return to yourself? Like, you can't just be acting all Glennon, the time. Glennon, your hair looks really good like that. You I should do half up, half that. down sometimes. <laughs> That's really, you, your hair looks good like that. <laughs> Thank Sorry. you, Carrie. I'm also paying attention. <laughs> why, why are you holding your hair like that? Because I just get so excited. Because you guys, because I, this putting will, herself back. Okay. Yeah. Honestly, why is because okay. I feel like I have never written honestly or thought truly honestly about my family of origin stuff. Hmm. And also this last layer of recovery for me with anorexia is all about coming mm-hmm. to terms with hundred percent the real yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. And so what I think is true is that we don't get away with it. Mm-hmm. Nobody gets away with it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what you're doing is like, you're doing the hardest thing, which is lovingly bringing everybody to the table and laying it all out in front mm-hmm. of everybody mm-hmm. um, to free everybody. And, and I yeah. think that's what it takes to get back into your own body. I think Oof. those two things are totally connected. Oh. I think bringing it all to the table in your family of origin is directly connected for women to embodiment, Mm. to Mm. living your one wild and precious life in a true way. Because when we keep secrets for everybody else, we we don't allow ourselves to be in our body because there's too much truth there. Mm -hmm. So when you start to people please, or you don't trust yourself, or you lose yourself again, do you have anything you do to like re-embody. Mm-hmm. The first thing I want to say is thank you for having me on <laughs> and for the feedback that you're giving. I feel really, really moved. Mm. But also I want to say it is really hard and I don't want to act like bringing family secrets forward is always going to be rosy and mm. go great. <laughs> like. It's it's not a joke that we had to do family therapy, all four of us. And there have, I, and I had to be willing to, to write stuff that could have 
really made my parents, I don't know, much angrier than they are. Mm. Um, I'm really lucky that I have parents who are like, we're proud of you. Not the book we would have written. (laughs) (laughs) Would have been a little shorter if they wrote it. (laughs) Much, much shorter, much rosier maybe. Um, And and even like there was a point when, when I asked my mom to read it, she was so beautiful. She came over to my house and she gave me a big hug and she was like, I'm so proud of you. It's so beautifully written. It's so beautiful. Um, and then because she's a retired professor of education, handed it to me with like post-its and red markings and was like, I have some notes. <laughs> if that's not the best metaphor ever, your mother editing your family memoir. Amazing. But she challenged me in places where I made some adjustments that she was right mm. on. Like like that story I tell about being in college where I my professor told me to press a dress, meaning iron a dress. And I just like pushed down on the dress because I hadn't been taught what pressing was. And, um, <laughs> and she was like, you know, you say that I didn't think that you could, um, I don't, however, I had originally written it like that. She just didn't teach me to be an adult. And she was like, I was giving you space to think about other things. Like mm. I didn't want you thinking about ironing because I wanted you to be thinking about Shakespeare and to be like, have time for these other pursuits that were beyond what I was allowed to do at your age. And I was like, oh, she's right. And it took me, what took me back to the manuscript. And I wrote like, my mother's goal was to provide me space where I could Mm. have a bigger life and think about other things. And then I added, maybe I could have done both. (laughs) Like She didn't think there was room for both, right? So like that, I was really grateful because I felt like this is more balanced. Her insight was more balanced. And she had other little things like, you got the beach wrong. It was a different beach. And I was like, great. So really um, grateful that my parents' engagement with this material and with this moment is so loving Mm. Um, because it is a testament that every single step along the way, they have had the most loving intentions and that they are learning to love in new ways as I'm learning to love in new ways. But I don't want anybody to think it's all easy and rosy all the time and that you tell a family secret and there's no, that there's no consequences. Mm -hmm. There are. Mm -hmm. And when I lose myself 10 times a day, not two times a day, I think it's really simple stuff that we all talk about. Like going for walks, really big for me to getting back in my body. Prayer and meditation, really big. Like just breathing, drinking water, which I don't like to do. I don't like to drink water if there's nothing in it. Like water is so unsexy. Like <laughs> it needs a bubble. It needs a tea bag. It needs a, like, I, I need my water to be sexy. Yeah. Yes. It just like, yes, it needs accessories. But I, I, I try to drink, I, I like, you know, electrolyte powder, like anything <laughs> to, to make the water, you know, I'm sorry, water that I, that I don't just let you be. But, um, <laughs> So, but water's really big. Hydration's really big. I love a massage. I really think about every time I get body work, um, for me, it's not just like a spa appointment. For me, it's like healthy, loving, sane touch mm-hmm. puts me back in my body because I feel like I have been so against my body so much of my life and there's been abuse but just even my own relationship with my with my body, like body work, massage work is kind of part of my amends to this 
body to say like, I'm just going to let you mm. be loved and cared for. Wow. Mm. Amends to your body. Yeah. Write that down, y'all. That's my sign. Mm-hmm. Amends to your body. Wow. Carrie Marissa Washington. I just want to say <laughs> one more thing. What you just did it actually made me cry. She's because cried twice. I have a couple books out in the world and my mom hasn't read one of them. Um, <gasps> not the, even the commencement. Ad- well, what? she read, she probably read that one. She didn't read okay. the one that was like about my family and her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I think so much of our individual journeys, we, ha- we create the narratives of our lives. And what you just said that I think is really important. And it was really emotional for me is cause like your mom was able to co-write your narrative. It wasn't just mm. from your side. Like she was able to mm. correct some of the stuff that, and give more context around some of that stuff that I mm. think that we don't let our parents in on, in mm. terms of this narrative we're creating for our journeys here. So that was a big deal for me. And I think not everybody's going to write a book, but I do think that there is a time where we have to get brave enough to have those conversations with our parents so that they can bring some context to at least the narrative that, that we're taking. And you're I just amazing. That. I love you very much. And I'll follow mm. you anywhere you go. I love that. So true. <laughs> we'll just be following each other in circles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like we should call this Carrie Washington's family can do hard things. Yes. No. I mean, I, bl- God I bless love my you parents. All. It's true. Yes. And my husband and my beautiful children. Yeah, we're all doing hard stuff. So. You've proven there's a third way. It's not just do we keep the family secrets to keep the peace or do we free ourselves? It's like we gently share the family secrets so that we can all free ourselves. It's very and both. Um, it's like Carrie said, maybe I could have done both. <laughs> maybe I could have done mm. both. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because again, that's part of it is like, I learned, I learned some of this from Trevor Noah because when Trevor wrote his book, mm. he actually went to his mom because he felt like when you write a memoir, you should be writing your story and only your story, not a, anybody else's. But his mom is like the major hero of his mm-hmm. memoir. And so he got permission from his mom. Like, can I write your story and my story? And I feel like I didn't want to drag my parents into my story, but they wrote a story that I had to correct. They wrote this story. And then I, because I was protecting my children from the public eye and protecting my children from public media. I used to post, so I still do. I post my parents a lot. I used to post my dog and my parents a lot because I was like, let me keep my husband and kids off the social media. So now we're like perpetuating this lie together that I didn't even know I was telling this narrative. That So in order to correct my story, I had to correct their story. And I'm grateful that they let me, that, mm-hmm. you know, that they get that they now are supporting characters in my story, that mm-hmm. they've had 40 years of me upholding their story. Mm-hmm. And it's time for it to be my story now. And I do want them to be sort of supporting characters. I need them. I love them so much. I'm so lucky to have both of my parents still and their great grandparents and their great parents. And I think in a lot of ways, they've become as great parents as they've been, the real like gold of our relationship has been in these years of, of me knowing and the truth. Um, 
So I feel really lucky. And and I hope that people, you know, I can't control how people read it, but I, I do hope that they, in the same way that I love my parents and understand them more, having lived this and having written it, um, I hope that other people feel that way about them too. They will. I love they, the shit they deserve out of them. that. I love them so much. I love both of your parents. They will. Everyone who reads this book, they'll get it how hard. They'll get it. Yeah. They'll get it. Yeah. And they'll get themselves. So Carrie Washington, we love you. Thank you so much. Love you guys. Thank you for having me on. What a joy. Mm. It was everything that I dreamed it would be. Pod Squad, we'll see you back, but never better than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it, y'all. We retire. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Carrie. You're the best. So great. See you. I hope I see you soon. I know. And I'm going to concentrate. She'll be falling at a location near you. (laughs) Yes, I'll be standing by. (laughs) If this podcast means something to you, it would mean so much to us if you'd be willing to take 30 seconds to do these three things. First, can you please follow or subscribe to We Can Do Hard Things? Following the pod helps you because you'll never miss an episode and it helps us because you'll never miss an episode. To do this, just go to the We Can Do Hard Things show page on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and then just tap the plus sign in the upper right-hand corner or click on follow. This is the most important thing for the pod. While you're there, if you'd be willing to give us a five-star rating and review and share an episode you loved with a friend, we would be so grateful. We appreciate you very much. We Can Do Hard Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. I give you Tish Melton and Brandy Carlisle. I walked through fire, I came out the other side.
the flexibility of working in all sorts of places. It makes me feel free and like I can get my stuff done while being where I want to be. So I can take video calls from the park or download podcasts to listen to while I walk Seamus. And working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile's. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. So you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need. They also cover more highway miles with 5G than anyone else. You can stream and download your favorite entertainment, check hotel reviews, and make restaurant reservations. And with all that coverage, you can stay connected to the people you care about most. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds, according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. The holiday season may be at its end. Thank you, baby Jesus. But the opportunities for giving amazing life-changing gifts have just begun. And yes, diapers are a life-changing gift. Imagine your first-time parent struggling with time management and financial burdens. Don't really have to imagine. I remember it directly. And all the challenges of your first child. And then you get a huge shipment of diapers funded by all your family and friends. That's a good feeling. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's exactly what Pampers is doing with their diaper stash. I love this so much. It's an online diaper fund. So you can contribute to a diaper stockpile and help ensure it never runs out. 
And one of the most difficult things about buying diapers for others is making sure that you guess the right fits and sizes. And with Pampers Diaper Fund, all that guesswork goes away. So if there's a new parent or expecting parent in your life, you will be making their lives a lot easier and showing them how many people are excited for their huge milestone. Organizing a diaper stash is easy. Go to diaperstash.pampers.com to set up a fund and give the ultimate group gift. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. 